of oh, it's on. Hmm? If not, I can project. <laughs> it's on. We're good. Great. Um, well, like Andy. Oh, there we go. Hi, friends. Um, my name is Missy Bell, um, and as Andy said, I work for Olive Crest, um, which is an organization that believes um, in transforming the lives of at-risk youth through the healing power of family, friends, and God. So you heard from Jen Halliburton. Andy mentioned that. Um, she is my boss, so I have some big shoes to fill. Um, the last time she was with you, um, she shared um, about the quartet of the vulnerable. She shared about what it means um, to look like, to welcome children into your home. Um, and I get to follow. And we're going to continue this week um, in the series, which um, Andy titled The Reason, which is Welcoming the Vulnerable. Um, and I have the privilege of sharing with you about the orphans or the fatherless. Uh, so I want to thank Pastor Andy for having me here, um, for welcoming me to share with you. I feel like I know you guys. I'm going to be honest. I work with a lot of churches, um, but Water's Edge holds a near and dear space in my heart. And I don't say that to every church. I feel like you go to a concert and they say, this is the best looking crowd probably every time, right? But I truly do mean that I love Water's Edge and I love the family that you guys have here because you're a community and you're a church that loves one another. I love that Andy could call out each and every individual male that was here. That's a special thing and that's super unique. And I think it also positions Water's Edge um, well and uniquely for the work of Safe Families for Children, for the aunties and uncles ministry, because you're welcoming children um, into this community. So words can express uh, the gratitude that I have for this church. Uh, so you've also heard from some wonderful people in this sermon series. You heard from Jane about welcoming the immigrant. Um, you've grappled with some heavy questions like what does it mean to take care of the widow, uh, the immigrant, and now we're going to talk about the orphan. Um, and before I go any further, I want to put you at ease. There's no pictures of children in the hallway for you to pick up on your way out. Uh, we just get to relax into this. And um, the goal of our time together today um, is that we would leave more humbled and amazed at what God has done on our behalf. And then in light of that, um, we get to ponder how we get to respond. So again, our goal for today um, is to leave here more humbled and amazed at what God has done on our behalf uh, and then learn what the implications for us are. Uh, so the best way for you to get to know me is for me to introduce uh, my family. Uh, so this wonderful 90s photo is where it all began. Uh, my mom was a postpartum nurse, another way of saying a baby nurse. And my dad was an aerospace engineer up in the Bay Area. Um, and my brother arrived, that little guy arrived into um, the family two years before me. Um, and then one afternoon, uh, my mom uh, got a phone call um, from her uh, hospital. Um, you see, my biological mom um, hadn't made a plan for me, and my mom's friends at the hospital knew that she wanted to adopt. And so they called her saying that, there's a baby here that needs a home, that needs a family. Are you guys interested? Uh, by the way, this would never happen nowadays. That was like a weird 90s thing. Um, but back then, it's how God um, wove me into my family story. And so my dad and my mom literally hopped in a car, drove to her hospital, met with my bio mom, talked. They shook hands. And uh, that's essentially how I became a Nickerson. 
Uh, and uh, my mom that night, instead of, um, you know, prepping for a newborn, because I don't know if you know, new- newborns take a lot of things, right? Um, she was too excited, so she worked her shift that night uh, so she could be closer to me. Um, and my dad did the heavy lifting of get- getting the crib and the baby seat and all of that. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a crazy story. So um, since then, uh, my brother grew 12 feet. Um, <laughs> Uh, my dad inherited the kingdom at 19, and then um, my husband swooped me off my feet about five years ago. So that's a little bit about me. I... <laughs> Jacob. Um, yeah, he's a good one. Um, so now that you know me, I feel like maybe we can go ahead and dig in. So um, we're going to be looking today at Luke 2.41. Luke 2.41. So if you would go ahead and read this with me. It's going to be up on the screen, so you can also pull out your uh, Bible or your phone, depending on how, uh, what age you are. Um, so now Luke 2, 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he being Jesus, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. So let's set the scene. Mary and Joseph have traveled a day's journey to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, uh, the feast that celebrates God saving them from being slaved, taking them out from under oppression, and leading them to the promised land. The feast was to be celebrated at Jerusalem because as we read in Deuteronomy 16.6, it says God's name dwelt there. His presence was dwelling there. So who do they celebrate this feast with? Well, God tells them to celebrate with their sons and daughters, their male servants and female servants, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. I just want to point this out because even in celebration, God cares for the fatherless. Um, After they're done celebrating, they all head back home. And at some point, Mary and Joseph realize that their child is not with them. Uh, This passage should make every parent in the room uh, feel better. uh, Because if the parents of God, of Jesus, lost their son, I feel like we all get a free pass, right? Um, So they hurry back. Jerusalem. They search and search and search, and then they find Jesus in the temple, the place where God's name is dwelling. So why did Jesus stay behind? This wasn't his first visit to Jerusalem. He had been there numerous times to celebrate the Jewish feasts with his tribe. What did he find at the temple at that visit 
that caused him to want to stay. We know that later in his life, Jesus flips the money changers' tables. And because of the disgrace that they were causing God. And, but here in this moment, we find Jesus at the temple, at the place that God's name and presence is dwelling, sitting, listening, and asking. In other words, he's comfortable. He's home. And I can imagine Jesus sitting at the table, maybe eating a snack, maybe some grapes, listening to the rabbis discuss the holy text. I imagine Jesus uh, getting distracted at the hustle and bustle of the temple. It was quite busy. Um, But Jesus was home. And so the question that I want to pose to you guys um, is what comes to mind when you think of the word home? Uh, What are the feelings that arise? Uh, So let's take a few minutes, turn to one another, and talk about what does the uh, word home bring up for you. Uh, I feel like our church prepared us for this time because they take like five minutes and they truly let people settle into this time of sharing. Oh, yeah. At Park Hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a few people are still talking. Nope, I'm going to go. Bye.
All right, let's go ahead and come back. Some of, some of the words I heard were safe. Some of the words I heard were relaxation and rest. Um, in the very primitive understanding of home, uh, we know it as a physical space, right? A place where you have a bed, a kitchen table, a TV. Um, perhaps if you're lucky, Santa brought you a PS5. Um, well, I was with the church about 10 months ago, um, and I was sharing about Safe Families for Children, and um, I would have a hard time believing if you don't know about it, but just in case, let's say you don't. Uh, Safe Families for Children is where um, families like yourself open their home um, to children for one night, up to 90 days, to children whose families are experiencing crisis, um, let's say hospitalization or homelessness, um, or maybe even rehab, mom needs to go to rehab. So I was sharing about this ministry, um, and I was sharing about um, one of our host families, um, and they had um, picked up these two kids that they were hosting, and they rolled up in their minivan, um, and they opened the door, and as they opened the door, the little girl took a big breath, and she said, oh, it smells so clean in here. And her, the host mom was like, okay, that's, thank you. Um, and then the little boy hopped in the car. They closed the door. And on the way home, um, the little boy asked, um, so is this, is this where we're sleeping tonight? And the host mom thought, like, in where we are physically? He's like, no, no, are we sleeping in this minivan tonight? Is this where we're staying and um, that undoubtedly broke the host mom's heart, right? Because they had been living, um, living in a car. And so the host mom said, no, no, like we're headed, we're headed to our home, my house. And on the way, uh, the little girl, little boy pointed out um, every park uh, that they had slept in um, and every park bench that they had made a bed. Um, so I was sharing this story at this church, and afterwards... Um, a young woman came up to me, and uh, we were talking, and we were talking, and uh, we talked some more. And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in conversations where you know that you're not really talking about what you want to be talking about. I was in one of those, and so I just stayed with her. You know, I stayed with her, and we talked about things like the weather and o Oceanside, where I was, and I mean, we just covered it all. Um, and at the very end, um, she said... You know, I was one of those kids. And I said, I'm sorry. And she said, uh, I was one of those kids um, that was sleeping on a park bench. And I just wonder. I just wonder. And, and it kind of took me aback and took my breath away. And, um, and she walked away. That was the end of the conversation. Um, well, I've been wondering since then, uh, what if that precious child had had a place to sleep? And what if she had a warm bed um, for a night? What if her mom had had um, a resource like Safe Families for Children to call in her time of need? Um, you know, and that, that precious girl, she was sharing with me, she shared that she um, was finishing college and she was going on to be a social worker. And that girl is defeating the odds because most children... Um, that end up in that end in foster care, which she wasn't, but I could imagine her story that was included, um, considering um, her being homeless. 80% um, of children that age out of the foster care will be homeless uh, within the first year. 
Um, and I know I, when I learned that statistic, it really changed my opinion and my view um, of our homeless population here in San Diego. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the text. So in verse 49, uh, we see Jesus for the first time separating himself from his biological parents, uh, Mary and Joseph, and identifying himself as the son of God. His answer to his mom um, was, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? So Jesus was identifying himself as the son of the father. I would submit to you that a, that a house, that a home is more than a physical space. It's a place uh, where you come to learn who and whose you are. Um, so when I asked what makes a house a home, most of you talked about, um, you defined it by a relationship, right? A place where my mom and dad were. Uh, somewhere my grandma met me with cookies. Uh, a place where my spouse is. A place where a cat greets you at the door. I realize I lost 75% of you when I said cat, but cats are superior. Um, I know, I know. 99% <laughs> of you, the one. Um, so we know who we are because we know whose we are. I mean, I want to recognize here um, that maybe you didn't grow up in a home um, that honored your relationship with those that lived in it, right? Maybe your parents, uh, maybe you were used to hearing um, things that were harsh and not kind. Um, I want to recognize that because that this um, sermon might be a little bit challenging for those that grew up in homes that were less than ideal. But hopefully... Um, most of us grew up in a home um, where we got to learn about who we are and whose we are. Um, and for those that didn't, um, we get to learn that by being a son and daughter of God. So in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. God sent Jesus, his son, to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters and be in relationship with him. We are no longer slaves, but sons and daughters. We are heirs through Christ. We get to call God Father. Just as Christ identified himself as the Son of God in the temple, we get to identify ourselves as sons and daughters of God, as chosen and adopted. So when I became a Nickerson, I became known as Melissa Nickerson. Uh, my name changed from baby girl on the birth certificate to Melissa Nickerson. I became known as the daughter of Jim and Diane, Matt's sister. I became included in all things uh, Nickerson, which included rooting for Army to beat Navy every year, uh, preferring spicy food because we're a bicultural home, uh, getting needle-pointed stockings because that's what Nickerson grandparents do for their Nickerson grandchildren. A foundation was set because of the Nickerson family. The Nickerson home was my new home, my new family. Um, and maybe your story is an adoption. Most of you in here are not adopted. So let's think about those that are uh, married. Now you have an in-law family. Maybe you um, got grafted into a home that celebrates Christmas on Christmas Eve instead of Christmas Day. Um, or, God forbid, you married into a family that does marathons on holidays. If you, 
if you did, may the Lord be with you. And, and maybe if you're single, think of a friend that feels like family, right? Think of uh, the friend that you um, call sister. Um, I have mine with me today, and I know I need to tell her things are 30 minutes in advance if she get, to get there on time, right? So think of your family. Think of who you have chosen to be adopted into your family, and think of what then that means when God adopts, adopted us, right? Um, we get to see ourselves in this holy book. Uh, we get to read about how we are grafted into the family of God, and that if you go back through our genealogy, we get to see that we come from a royal priesthood, uh, from a family that had murderers that God called friends, from prostitutes who are history makers, a man whose imperfect speech led thousands to a promised land. This is our history. These are the relationships that get to define us as God's chosen sons and daughters because of our relationship with Christ, because of our relationship with him. So, Let's think about those that don't have a family. Uh, there are 400,000 children in this country that have no home, that have no family. Uh, but I often hear that those really large numbers are hard for our brains to wrap around, so let's break that down. Um, in California, there are 60,000 children that need a home. Uh, but maybe that number is still too big, right? So let's keep going. Let's just focus on San Diego. So in San Diego, there are 2,500 children that need a home. Uh, but let's keep going. In North Coastal, um, as the county would define it, North Coastal, which would include like Encinitas, Carlsbad, Solana Beach, there are 171 children that need a home. 171 children that need someone to take care of them, to shelter them, to tell them who's and who they are. They need people speaking over them that they are loved, chosen, adopted, wanted. And if they want to be, they can become heirs into the royal, royal priesthood. Uh, so I said earlier that All of Crest is an organization that believes in the healing power of family. Um, and I never saw this clearer um, when I visited a foster home um, this past summer. Uh, so I walked into this home, um, I opened the big door, and this sweet little thing ran up to me, blonde, blue-eyed, pigtails, full of life and excitement, looked me right in the eyes, and she was just like so excited I was there. I was like, oh my goodness, right? Like those are the best kinds of greetings. Um, she was somewhere around the age of five, um, and her foster dad um, was quickly behind her to make sure everything was going all right, and then redirected her and all of her bundle of energy to some toys, um, so I started talking to this foster dad, and I was like, tell me, tell me your story. Would you mind sharing me with her story? And he shared with me that she was autistic, and that a year and a half um, ago, she entered their home, and she was unable to talk, unable to walk, unable to feed herself, um, and had severe sensory issues, which looked like hitting her head up against her crib, um, hitting herself with her fists, and it was because she was so neglected. Um, she had very little interaction, and she wasn't hitting any of her milestones, of her developmental milestones, and they didn't know if she was ever going to hit any of those milestones. We know that the um, first years of life, the first five years, are very developmentally important, and so they just took her in to love her um, and to care for her, 
And over the year and a half, the foster dad and his wife uh, patiently loved that little girl, cared for her, whispered over her who and whose she was. And year and a half, she was walking, talking, feeding herself, and engaging with others. She had found a home that she could become her truest self. So 400,000 children in the U.S., 60,000 children in California, 171 in Encinitas. Every number has a name, and every name has a story, just like that little girl. So Jesus found his sonship in God the Father. We have found ourselves as heirs and sons and daughters because of our relationship to him. And as we find ourselves adopted into the family of God, that means that we also have a calling. It says in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is not a burden to bear. We read these verses often and we get this like Christian guilt shame and it's like, what am I not doing? I should be doing more. This is not a burden, but this is an invitation. Uh, Andy shared a few weeks ago what it was like to open your home to the elderly. And my invitation to you today is to open your home to a child who has no home. A child who never deserved the bad things that happened to them or the hand they were dealt. My invitation to you is to practice the faith that God has so graciously extended to us because of our relationship to him. My invitation is to open not only your heart but your home to visit orphans and widows. Some of you have done that so beautifully in this church. It is incredible. Uh, you have opened your home to the fatherless with Safe Families for Children, our family preservation ministry, and it has rocked your world. I've talked, I've heard the stories. Um, Andy and the Colados, um, they have welcomed children into their home for 30 nights. Claire had her first hosting, and I'm going to brag on Claire, and it's completely going to embarrass her. We had this little girl, 10 years old, and she had some um, emotional distresses, maybe some behavioral issues. And I knew she was perfect for Claire because me and my colleague, we talk, and we talk about the families because we get to know you guys really well. And so we were talking, and I was like, Claire would be perfect. Claire would be perfect. But, you know, we've really thought that her home would kind of be more better for little infants, you know. And then we just kept coming back to Claire. And so we called Claire as a social worker and, and in a school district. And so we just knew that Claire had the ability and the knowledge to kind of um, to hone this little girl. And Claire said yes. And this little girl, I mean, she's 10, so little, but little girl and her just had a girl's night. And they had a girl's night, and they gave mom a much-needed rest. Um, because moms who use Safe Families for Children, who need Safe Families for Children, they're not much different than you and I. They just are completely isolated. They have no one to call, no one um, to get a hold of in their times of need or pure exhaustion. And so Claire opened her home to this 10-year-old, and it went swimmingly. Yeah? It went swimmingly. And we were so excited when Claire said yes, um, and we're just so excited about the relationship that was built. 
So my invitation to you is to open your heart in your home, that it's worth it, that, it, that we get to do it out of the extension of what God has done to us. And some of you have also supported your aunties and uncles ministry, and that is a worthwhile calling. Some of you have been a part of park days that helped a foster family in um, North County that needed some much time of reprieve. That is a worthwhile calling. Getting in the game is worth it. So whether it's opening your home or supporting those that do, I encourage you and I welcome you to consider this invitation all because of who God has called us and how he has created us to be a part of his family. Um, so with that, um, I think we're going. <laughs> so glad you asked, Andy. The application process can be as quick or as slow as you are. Um, if you, I know, I know that's what I like to say. So if you are not great with paperwork, no problem. I am your guide through that journey, and I love sending emails. Um, so it's about a month long in length. The most cumbersome part of it all um, is getting the live scan gun. That always just puts a wrench in it because um, you have to go somewhere to get that done. It, it will be near your house, but it's amazing, that like extra step. Um, but it's a month long in length. It's a general application, a family evaluation, um, which goes through kind of how you were brought up to see how you might um, care for others. Um, a live scan, criminal record statement, those things. Um, but it's a month long in length, and then you get to join the Safe Families, Aunties and Uncles crew here. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, good questions. Um, well, we, <laughs> um, there is six hours of online training that's actually currently all being redone, um, to be a little bit cooler, <laughs> uh, six hours of online training, and then you meet with our clinician, um, Monty, and he just, um, goes over what it's like to open your home and extend biblical hospitality. Um, we call him Gandalf, because every time you, you meet with him or talk to him, you just walk away just like, oh. That was so wise. Um, and then after that, um, you have a staff of Safe Families that supports you. Um, so whether that's my colleague, Rose, who's our intake coordinator, so she meets with mamas, and she goes through the paperwork with them. Um, and then it's kind of a, a matching process. Um, you get a text every time a need comes up. Um, but for special cases or for those that maybe we're just not getting the um, phone calls for, we call you. Um, and then after that, there's... Um, online training, like a, once a month of online training that you can tune into to learn more about um, caring for those with trauma or um, a, a myriad of topics. And then we also like to have fun, and we have a phenomenal community partner <laughs> um, that I'll refrain from saying their name up here, but down there, I'll say. And um, they uh, have a beach club um, during the summers to just have fun and relax as a family um, or with a hosted child, um, or you get free Christmas trees from and a Christmas event. So, um, yeah, emotional, tangible, spiritual support. I'm glad you think so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you might be speaking from personal experience, Sandy. <laughs> yeah. So what we do and what we focus on is that we are there to care for children and to care for their families by caring for their children. Um, so if um, you want to see change, this probably isn't the ministry for you. Sometimes there's beautiful change. Sometimes we get the like, most perfect story and we go, Lord, thank you so much for this, this beacon of light. Um, but this but their lives, um, you don't see that change as, as we would like to, right? Like, typically, we help others, and then others either help us back or they change, right? Like, that's kind of how we, like, like to go about things. Um, but what we do and what we call others to do is to extend Christ's sacrificial love and love these kids and love their families. And uh, we might never see on this side of heaven that change, um, but we know and the reason why I shared those stories of um, children's change is because we don't know what seeds we're planting in these kids' lives um, while they're with us, right? Of just, of love. Um, so your Messiah complex will be challenged. Mine is every day in Olive Crest. And it's good and it's uncomfortable. Um, but it is altogether worth it. Quite literally. I would love to pray. Great. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, we uh, love you. And God, we are so grateful that we can call you Father. Lord, I thank you for this um, church. Lord, I thank you for Water's Edge. I thank you for uh, the lives that are here. God, I love that you know each and every one of them by name. And Lord, I thank you for those that have taken up the calling to care for children in crisis. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead them um, and lead those to make the next best decision. God, I pray that they would follow the stirring in their heart um, to welcome children or the immigrant or the widow. God, would you direct this church and would you direct each and every one in here um, to make their next best step in response um, to what you have so generously gifted us. Um, Lord, we love you. And we um, are just amazed at who you are. So, Lord, would you bless the rest of this day. God, would you bless Water's Edge immensely in your love and in your generosity and in your goodness. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Nine. Thank you.